our fault that we're even having this debate, and those people probably have a hard time imagining how anyone could ever think that marriage to a minor is acceptable. But the reality is all people historically considered minor marriage perfectly normal. Bruce Lawn. My buddy Michael, Mike Jones, from Aspiring Philosophy, debated the topic of child marriage. This is wild. Okay? Now, the entire conversation was almost two hours long. I recommend you go watch the full thing. But I wanted to highlight... Uh, his argument, the end of his argument, which is there's no degree of science, psychology, and biology that says that child marriage is a good idea. And that a lot of this stuff that even people say from a historical standpoint isn't accurate. That even when marriage was super young, what people found was that it was actually still happening post-puberty. Meaning that even when people getting married when they were younger, it was still happening after someone had completed puberty, which is girls anywhere between 15 to 17 years old okay like that on the young end of the spectrum like the young end of the spectrum and he has a bunch of sources and citations for that and so i want to show you guys the last little bit of his argument but the wild part is the argument against it which is which is which is crazy let me play you guys the last little bit of mike michael's inter, uh points and all the information from the cdc and just how terrible it is which is like common sense right and then I'll, uh, and then, and then I want to unpack some of the. So there really is no escape from the conclusion: child marriage is likely to lead to physical and mental harm. That should be pretty common sense. Now, because other faiths have other views and and other prophets that believe other things, I'm not going to get into it because they're protected class on YouTube. This is this is this is fascinating. Anyone claiming a society would be better if we force young girls into these situations is either misinformed or delusional. So let's ask why Daniel thinks child marriages are morally permissible. In the same debate review, he said, it's something that has been practiced historically in all cultures. Why? Because you have a limited fertility window that women have to have children and you value family. You need family, especially in most of the countries in the world. Because children are going to work in the home, they're going to work for the family, bring money into your family. You need children and your society needs more and more children to defend itself because wars are on the basis of manpower. So there's all these important economic, military, societal, familial objectives with having more and more children. And that requires maximizing the fertility window. That was, that was the argument. That's one of the arguments. We're going to hear from this gentleman himself and what his actual views are in a second. Now, let's just set aside the fact that Daniel, either intentionally or unintentionally, just was, said he was okay with child labor and children being used in wars. May not have meant it. But let's focus on one in this. He provided no argument child marriages are morally permissible. All Daniel was ever argued for is the pragmatic usefulness of child marriages, not their moral status. Allegedly, they maximize reproductivity and increase the population size. But this is not moral justification. For example, if you want to increase your society's birth rate, you can make an adultery legal. But they are morally impermissible despite having pragmatic value and increasing fertility. Daniel has to give a moral reason for child marriages given the harm they cause. Do they increase virtue, decrease vice, help young girls to live flourishing lives? No. It's pretty clear from the data I cited that none of this is true. In fact, they're incredibly harmful. They increase mental health issues, stunt social development, lead to immoral acts like spousal abuse and suicide, and can even lead to physical harm and death. So it should be clear to every reasonable per person there's no moral justification for child marriages. Furthermore, they may not actually help increase the society's reproductivity if they increase the likelihood of death for the mother or the and the children. An educated society should outlaw child marriages if they care about their people and their well-being. And most people alive actually understand this. Research shows that child marriages decrease the more people become educated on this topic. But also, if we look at the average age women have their first children around the world, the, low, the country with the lowest age is neither with a mean age of 18.5. So most countries where data is available actually understand it's better for a woman to wait for a girl to become a woman before she's expected to have children. Yes. So Daniel was correct. It's beneficial for society to force girls to have children. Why is it not practiced more? Well, the answer is pretty obvious. It's because most people understand it comes with all sorts of problems that actually harm your overall society. Correct. Daniel has also appealed to the past and has argued child marriages were perfectly normal before these Western Christians came along and ruined all the fun they were having with children. Well, first off, on behalf of Western Christians everywhere, you're welcome. But second, although child marriages have occurred in the past in many cultures, it still, it still does not make them morally permissible. 
And third, studies on the Roman Empire indicate the average age women were married was still in their late teens to early 20s. Does in the Roman Empire, which, which incorporates what? Incorporates Israel at one point, or Israel-Palestine, depending on, you know, what timeline you're looking at. Like today, many in the past understood forcing a girl to bear children led to serious complications. For the Jews of the same time period, it would vary from region to region, with the Jews in Babylon marrying younger. But the scholar Michael Sattler has pointed out the average age Jewish women would marry was still in their mid-teens to early 20s and after they had matured. Some so all this stuff about uh, Virgin Mary was 10 years old is nonsense. Some texts even speak of a woman being ripe for marriage at 20. So if Daniel wants to argue that Mary, the mother of God, was a child bride, I will contest that. Even medical experts before the modern era spoke out against marrying too young. In the second century, Serranus of Ephesus warned problems result if girls are married too young, in childbirth, that is. Kim Phillips, in her book, points out that Albertus Magnus advised waiting until after puberty before attempting to conceive children. Giles of Rome even said it's best for girls to wait until 18 before consummating marriage, long before the rise of liberalism. Phillips also notes there's no single marker that indicated the transition into adulthood. It was understood as a process. She says, canon legal theory on women's marriageable age offers a very limited perspective, and that social beliefs and practices provide a more reliable view of girls' transition to adulthood. Now again, these books and papers do accept that girls were married at younger ages at times. But if we follow what the current science shows us, it makes sense that many past cultures had such high infant mortality rates if girls in those societies were having children at younger ages. Of course, Daniel doesn't need to defend marriage at 15 or 14, but consummating marriage with a nine-year-old. Because that is what Daniel accepts his prophet did when he consummated his marriage to his child bride, Aisha. And there's no reason to think this act set a good example for the rest of us. Now, before closing, I suspect we might see some whataboutism from Daniel, where he might try to argue there are child brides in the Bible. The problem is this will be confusing descriptions with permissions. The Bible describes things that happened in the past without claiming they were good actions. Descriptive versus prescriptive passages. Bible study 101. Anybody that's uh, approaching the Bible in good faith, you have to know the difference between descriptive and prescriptive passages. All right, thank you very much for that opening. Mike, we will kick it over to Daniel for his opening statement as well. Daniel, the floor is all yours. Just a quick only advise everyone to debating religious doctrine, history, and ethics. Nowhere am I advocating people break the law. I strongly advise everyone to follow your local laws. Many that's, a, that's an important disclaimer he had to give. <laughs> <laughs> that we're even having this debate and those people probably have a hard time imagining how anyone could ever think that marriage to a minor is acceptable but the reality is all people historically considered minor marriage perfectly normal if you give me a chance i'll explain why the first step is to acknowledge some basic biological facts puberty doesn't happen overnight or at one specific age rather puberty is an extended process lasting from two to five years the start of puberty also varies it usually begins between 8 to 13 in girls or 9 to 15 in boys many factors affect puberty including race and environment for example black girls reach puberty a year earlier than white girls puberty also accelerates in stressful environments like food shortages or absent fathers but even in normal environments one percent of girls have their periods by age eight and four percent have them by age nine this means those are some crazy numbers i'm not sure how he figured all that out but i have heard that before I'm not, i haven't looked into those claims but specifically that black girls complete puberty before white girls I don't really see how that's relevant but okay means that they have completed puberty by ages eight or nine overall children Whoa, complete what, puberty. What, what? this means that they have completed puberty by ages eight or nine this is a sickness of the highest order overall children complete puberty in the eight to fifteen age range and start experiencing desires now here's the million dollar question how do children deal with those desires i want and so this is the this is this is the <sighs> this is the crux of his argument listen to his argument practical solution for all these frustrated minors out there because those hormones hit like a tsunami creating desires that need an outlet the outlet promoted in society today is an absolute disaster kids are taught said as early as nine and some experts want said in kindergarten you you're barely done with primary school and your teachers are passing out content and telling you to get birth control. Between 40 to 55% of high schoolers have had full sexual intercourse. If you include oral sex, the percentages are a lot higher. Many children as young as nine or 10 engage in these sexual behaviors. Experts say we have an epidemic of texting, for example, among minors with 25% of teens texting each other naked pictures of themselves. Also included in sex ed is 
pornography education because the average age a child sees hardcore porn is 10. It's just become an accepted fact that children watch porn. So let's just teach them how to do it safely. The shocking news recently is that they've started to teach kindergartners how to masturbate. Meanwhile, there's an epidemic of addiction that's destroying the mental health and well-being of generations of youth. These are today's socially acceptable outlets for childhood sexuality. Hopefully all Muslims and Christians here agree that fornication, masturbation, and pornography are not acceptable solutions. Rather, these practices destroy the moral fabric of society and corrupt. So you see how he's framing this? He's saying, hey, these things that are happening in society, we should all agree that they're not good, which fornication, masturbation, Sure, we would all agree that's not good. But then the solution, the solution is child marriage? This is a sickness of the highest order. Corrupt the soul. But the problem actually goes much deeper. Sadly, much of the sexual activity for minors involves sexual abuse. According to the data, 28% of American children ages 14 to 17 have suffered sexual abuse. Some of this happens in churches, but the majority happens in public schools. According to reports, the Use of students in schools is more than 100 times the abuse in churches. Researchers conclude that by 11th grade, 10% of children have been sexually abused in school. That means that in America alone, 4.5 million children are victims. And none of this includes other forms of sexualizing children, like Queen Story Hour, the rise of graphic educational material in school libraries, the sex children's clothes, beauty pageants, and on and on. The point is, childhood sexual desire from, from puberty is an unstoppable biological force. How does one channel those desires is the question. And How does one... <laughs> oh my gosh. How does one channel those desires? The crux of his argument is how does one channel? Now, I, I have some thoughts. I'll show, I'll show them until the end. How does one channel those desires? Hey, you want to see something crazy? 67% of the people who watch this channel are not subscribed. Do me a quick favor. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you stay up to date on all the videos here on the Bless God Studios channel. My gosh. And y'all thought Andrew Tate was bad, talking about a woman's peak is at 19 when she's a virgin or whatever goofy things he says. This is on a whole nother level. The false binary is, well, Western society says that fornication sexual morality is okay. So it's either morality or, I mean, what else do we got? What else are we going to do? What else are we going to do? of history, people of all religions and cultures had another solution. And that solution is marriage. Marriage is a healthy, wholesome outlet for the natural sexual desire that humans start experiencing at puberty. And pre-industrial religious and cultural traditions hold that marriage should be available at puberty. They don't stipulate an exact age for sexual marriage because again, puberty is highly variable in terms of when it begins. Now here's the part, here's the part, Linda, listen. This is the part that I found the most egregious about this conversation, is that who's doing the majority of the marrying? Is it 16-year-olds marrying other 16-year-olds in this context? Is it 15-year-old boys marrying 15-year-old girls in this context? Is that, what's, is that what's happening? Or is it grown men marrying girls that just finished or are still in puberty? I think there's the crux of the issue. If we get to the, to the brass tacks... The, the 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 way this is applied in certain cultures, not all cultures, but the way this is applied in certain cultures is it's not the young boys out here marrying the young girls. It's older men marrying younger girls. So I think even the fact that this this entire false false dichotomy is positioned of, well, young people have urges and desires. So therefore, you could either let them go liberal and, and or like the West or, you know, we could do what we do. Which is what, exactly? Which is what? Polygamy? Which is what? Older men taking younger girls? Which is what, exactly?
I think I think this entire debate was wild, and I and I'm and I'm shocked that this gentleman wanted to lean in and have this conversation with an aspiring philosophy who just kept dropping research and empirical studies after empirical study on him. Okay, and in 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 his conversation, to Kelly's point earlier, he said that um, the ideal age to get married is is twenty five. Okay, why? Because then your brain is fully developed. So what is this? What is the solution? It's definitely not this uh, maps energy, and it's definitely not older men taking younger brides or teenagers getting married. I think that how you deal with young people's urges is you equip them and you train them to channel those sexual urges into productive, healthy things. That first starts preemptively. Who and how are they going to be exposed to the realities of intimacy? In my household, we've been talking about the biology of, 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 of reproduction for years, since my son was like three or four. We've been talking about mommies have the eggs, daddies have the sperms, daddy's sperms goes inside of mommy, and then the baby comes out nine months later, goes in mommy's bed and then in belly. And then he saw, you know, a sister being born. So we've had, we've been having the, the biology conversation for a very long time. And we're going to be transitioning because now he's asking, well, how does the sperm get into the mommy's belly? He asked that question recently. So we're foundationally preemptively having these conversations to make sure he understands the biology, but that he also understands the intimacy and the pleasure part and that he doesn't find out from one of his friends or he doesn't find out from you know someone else that one we're framing it in, in in a godly aspect two we're going to be equipping our kid and we've seen this done of people being equipped in terms of what do you do with those desires well you channel them into doing the things that you're supposed to be doing within the context of your purpose and assignment for that season so if you are being guided by godly parents to Focus on the areas you're supposed to be focusing on, specifically your education, potentially having some sort of hobbies, sports, side business, curation of what you're doing with your free time, right? If that stuff is happening in your teenage years and you have parents that are actually engaged, where in the world are you going to have time to be testing and doing all this weirdo stuff that kids are doing, right? I was immoral. You know why? Because my, my dad wasn't in my life. My mom worked nights and I had a ton of spare time on my hands it was isolated and so i think we 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 engage and we stimulate kids and ultimately what i think happens is i think we engage and we stimulate kids and we talk about these desires but we say you got to channel this and consider your future family and consider who you want to be and consider what is the next season of your life is going to look like and prepare them for that now now if that happens at age 19 or 20 i don't have an issue with that right i've seen dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of couples get married before the age of 25 who are in happy, successful, stable, monogamous marriages. Zach Sparazzo got married, I believe they were 21. Uh, I got married at uh, 23. My wife was 21. A, a lot of folks around us got married early. Now, the caveat in all of that is that the, my wife had graduated college by by 21. I wasn't settled into my career, but if I would have, it would have been way less bumpy. That road would have been way less bumpy. And so I think you equip you equip kids for the logical conclusion of what's going to happen, which is, guess what? 86% of women are going to have kids. It's what's going to happen? 86%. They're going to have kids. 
prepare them for that. Prepare them for that. If they want to wait until they're 25, if they want to have kids at 20 and start a family earlier, I don't think there's a wrong or right way. I definitely think pushing it out increases the odds of you being socially immoral, right? I, I Especially if you're going to go off to college and you're going to go in the workforce and you're going to be going out having drinks with people. Yeah, I think that increases the odds of that. But I think you you equipping people, young people young, earlier and you telling them about the beauty of intimacy but also tell them about the reality of these things done out of their proper alignment and context are dangerous. They can lead to kids out of wedlock. They can lead to STDs. They can lead to, right, all of these different things. And I, and I, and I always make this point, and people get offended when I say this. You think about everything else in life. You think about getting a car, starting a business, going to college, get, become, learning a trade. Everything else in life requires some sort of certification process. You get certified. You go. You want to get a, a, a license, you got to go take behind the wheel. Then you got to pass a written exam. But the two things that are the most important decisions you'll ever make and that you should be equipped in, which is who you're going to marry and who you're going to reproduce with, that those two things, people assume that you don't need to be equipped, that you don't need any type of training, that you don't, you're just going to wing it and figure it out. It's not how it works. You, you need a structure and a system for that. And I would put intimacy within the confines of marriage to be the optimal, to be the optimal. Now, I get it. Everybody's not going to figure it out. I get it. Everybody's not going to do it that way. I get it. We all come from different places. I get it. But that doesn't mean we water down what is optimal for the sake of what is common. It is common for most people to be immoral, whether through partner hooking up or kids out of wedlock. Right, that, that is common. That doesn't mean it should be normal. We can't normalize what is common. Just like it is common for 70% of Americans to be overweight. It, that is common. 40% are morbidly obese. That is common. That shouldn't be normal. And I would, I would place the, the gift of intimacy in the same category I would place the gift of food. Most people don't know how to handle food. And the system, on, on a very macro, real s s level, is set up to, for there to be food deserts, for people to be ignorant of what it is to properly eat and how to properly fuel your body, of what macros you need inside of your body, of ideal times to eat. Most people are ignorant about this stuff, but that doesn't mean we, 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 we remove the standard. That doesn't mean we say these things are not good. And so I think, hey, get in the local church, raise your kids around other people that love Jesus. And I'm in my local community, we see this all the time. We see young people uh, get married, ages, I've seen folks get married as young as 19 all the way to 24, 23, and be married and have amazing families and flourish and thrive. Um, and that's a good thing. But the difference is these folks that get married younger is that they're equipped and they're trained. They're coming from families where mom and dad have been married for three decades, love them, demonstrate what a godly marriage is. They're coming from a context that's totally different than the average person is growing up. And those people, I absolutely believe, can handle being married at a young age and they can grow and develop together. Hey, this clip is from our daily after party stream. If you enjoyed it, consider signing up for our Patreon community for only $5 a month where you get access to the replays of our daily after party streams as well as the uncut extended versions of our podcast. 
Discord access that's private and a discount code for our merch store, only $5 a month. And ultimately, it's the best way to help us contextualize the gospel of Jesus using media, podcasting, and of course, YouTube. The link for that is in the description or in the pinned comment. The perks are amazing. You should get on there. It's only $5 a month. I'll see you over there, all right? Peace.